Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Every Sunday, uh, we have a time where we learn from God's Word. We also have time where we encourage one another. Um, But our messages are more geared towards followers of Jesus as we grow together in His Word and in His likeness. But we'd love to have you become even more a part of our family. And so if there's a way that we can help you connect here, Pastor Mike has already told you how to do that. I'll also be out in the lobby after the service. I'd love to meet you and get to know you better. Let's go ahead and dive in together. Jeremiah 29. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, go ahead and open to Jeremiah 29. And before we read, I'll just give us a refresher of our series. We're currently in the middle of our value series, looking at the seven things that we value, the things that drive us, that motivate us as a church. Uh, our elders, our pastors, our leaders. Uh, We have spent almost a year going through this, praying through this. What is it that really motivates us? And we've landed on these seven things. We believe they've been historically true of Bible Center for 76 years, but we also want them to be even more true as we enter into the next phase of life in ministry. Before we read our passage, I'm going to go ahead and do something a little out of the ordinary. We're going to go through the first part of our outline because I think the first section really sets up the message. If you notice in your outline, in your bulletin, or on the app, or on the screens, we start looking at four viewpoints of a church's role in its city. Four different viewpoints. What are those viewpoints? What are those four very different perspectives? Well, one perspective says this. We're a church in the city. We're simply a church in the city. This kind of church meets together for worship, and it runs programs for its people. But apart from ministering to the people in its walls, this type of church has very little impact in the city around it. I sometimes refer to these types of churches as island churches. It looks really attractive. There are times where we think we'd all like to go there, especially in February when it's freezing here. But churches like this may say things like, If people dress like us, think like us, vote like us, eat like us, drink like us, and worship like us, they are more than welcome to join us on the island. So that's a church that says we're in the city, but that's really about it. There's a second kind of church, and that's the church that is against the city, against the city. This type of church has a very us versus them mentality. It's almost as if that the people inside the church are good, but the people outside in the city are bad, and we should somehow keep our distance from them. They're bad, we're good. I call this a fortress church, a fortress church. This type of church may lob constantly, lob attacks against the city around it, whether it be on social media, the printed word, or in a bully pulpit uh, format. In other words, we have all the right answers. Everybody outside our walls is messed up. We don't like them. Let's attack them. Sometimes we use even truth to do it in the very, very wrong way. That's a fortress church. The third type of church is a church that says we're of the city. This type of church has minimized key Christian doctrines, key core truths of the faith, And over the years, this type of church kind of morphs into whatever the city looks like. It takes upon the shape of the city. 
I call this a jello church, a jello church. This church has forgotten what Christianity is really all about. What can be deceiving about this type of church is that it can, it can think that it's standing for truth. It can, might even think that it's, being, it's fighting for long-held truth. But what it doesn't realize sometimes is that it's actually fighting for culture. Maybe a culture that existed in the city 40, 50 years ago. 40, 50 years ago when this church first took shape. Sometimes if they're not careful, they think they will be fighting for truth. And in reality, it's for preference, for tradition, or for a cultural norm, they're fighting for jello, not for long-established truth. But there's a fourth type of city that, or type of church we're going to look at, and this is a church that's for the city. They're for the city. This kind of church values the two great commandments to love God and love neighbor. This type of church seeks to serve its city, assist its city, love its city for the glory of God but ultimately with the purpose that more people will know God. I like to call this a hospital church, a hospital church. How many of you have either been or you know someone who's been to Cleveland Clinic before, been to Cleveland Clinic? A lot of us either have been there, we know somebody who's been there. It's really a beautiful place. And, and from what I understand, they, they help hurting people, they nurture them back to health, they seek to educate in fitness and nutrition. And so in a lot of ways, I think churches, it seems in the scriptures, are, are more like hospitals. We're not museums for sinners but we're, or saints, but we're to be hospitals for sinners. We nurture people back to spiritual health. We train them in spiritual fitness and in spiritual nutrition. Now, you'll notice that I've put an asterisk on the end of this particular type of church. I believe the scriptures teach and invite us to be a church that's for the city. And so if this is your first time hearing this or you're not quite sure, I would invite you to to follow along with me because we're going to look in the scriptures and see why I believe God is calling us to this. Now, why am I so passionate about this? Why, if we get in a conversation more than five minutes, why are we probably going to talk about this? Well, first of all, it's part of Bible Center Church's history. It's in our DNA. We were started in 1943, downtown Charleston, as a church, an innovative church for the city. Other people were meeting in big castles. We were meeting in shoe stores. Other people were doing things the way they've been done for hundreds of years, and we were willing to take risks to say, we'll do whatever's necessary to reach our city with the gospel. Did you know that our official name is not Bible Center Church? Those of you who are on the deacon board who have served behind the scenes, that's not our official name. Our official name is the City Bible Center, DBA, doing business as Bible Center Church. You see, in 1943, when we started, there was a community center, there was the fitness center, and you can just imagine the founders getting together and saying, well, there also needs to be a Bible Center in Charleston. And eventually that name stuck and we became the Bible Center Church. So it's part of our DNA as a church family. I believe it's also part of many of your DNA. So many of you serve in jobs and you love our city and bless our city in such a way that our city is better because you do what you do every day. Even if it's not in our city limits, because of what you do every day, this community, the Kanawha Valley, is a better place to live. So I believe you're for the city. 
But this is personal to me. It's a personal message because I was born in this city. I'm going to reveal my age. In June 1980, I was born at the CAMC Memorial Hospital. There was no women's and children's hospital back then. And that might seem like really, really old to some of you and really, really young to others of you. But I love this city. I grew up in and around this city. I have pictures like this. If you see my office, I've got pictures like this all around my office where sometimes if I'm just drinking coffee and I'm just thinking, I'll, I'll look and I'll see the picture of the hospital where our youngest daughter was born. I'll look and see the picture of where we closed on our first house or where we closed on our second house or where the running store is located. All kinds of memories. Many, many country music concerts at the Civic Center, now known as the Coliseum. I love our city. And so in the next few minutes, I'm going to describe three ways that we can be for our city and three reasons why we should be for our city. Three ways we can be for it and three reasons why I believe it's so important. So let's dive into God's word and we'll move quickly. Jeremiah 29, please stand with me out of respect for the Bible. Jeremiah 29 and verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. First, we ask the question, how do we know if we're truly for our city? How do we know that? What's that look like? Well, number one, we're willing to settle in and live life over a long period of time. We're willing to settle in and live life over a long period of time. Now, in context, this letter was not written originally to the church, as we know. It was written to the people of Israel who had been carried into exile, been carried into captivity from Babylon to Babylon. So they were taken from their hometown of Jerusalem into a strange foreign city of Babylon, this was the way that people like that were indoctrinated. Babylon would conquer a country, conquer a city, and it would take hundreds, sometimes thousands of its people back to the mother city to teach them the ways of Babylon. Imagine this afternoon you're sitting in your house and somebody breaks into your house and you can't get to your whatever, your golf club, your gun fast enough and they carry you off into a strange country, a strange land, and you're going to live the rest of your life there. Well, if you're like me, you're going to be angry about it. You're not going to be thrilled about it. And so the people of God did what we would do. They were against this new city, this strange people. But God had a greater purpose. And God said, I've put you there for a reason. And I don't want you to be against it. I want you to be for it. Instead of building houses, in verse 5, or excuse me, instead of living in tents, build houses. Instead of moving every couple of months, Settle down. Instead of just eating what other people make, you grow gardens, you produce crops, raise families, settle in for a long period 
of time. I still believe one of the greatest ways that we can love our city is by just being willing to settle in over a long period of time. Now, that doesn't mean that that's God's will for everybody in the city of Charleston to be here for the next 40, 50, 60 years. That's not what I'm preaching. Some of you, the Lord has led you here temporarily, and He'll lead you elsewhere because of your job or family. We totally understand that. My wife and I moved away for five years to go to seminary. We totally get what it looks like to move in and out of cities that you like, some you love more than others. But I want to take a second and say thank you to all you who have lived here for a long period of time. This isn't Miami. I don't have to tell you that. This isn't like SoCal or, or wherever your favorite place is to go on vacation. This is Charleston, West Virginia. And, and you have stuck with it and you have loved this place and given even our church the foundation that it has. Thank you for doing that. You have the ability to speak into our city because you've lived here and you've loved here over a long period of time. I jokingly, half-jokingly say, I believe the Lord wants me here for 30 years. That gives me 26 and a half years left. Now, I might be in heaven tomorrow, right? I don't know what the future holds. But when I say that, what I'm trying to communicate is, I believe our church needs stability. I believe our city needs stability. And every year that we're here, we have the opportunity to make deeper relationships and love people over the long haul. Now, one of the challenges, one of the challenges that our church faces is our location. We have the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful church buildings in the state. I love it. It's actually like a, it's like a home base for missions around our state and one day to a greater degree around the world. If you've ever been down to like the Billy Graham Cove, it's almost like a retreat, a place where people can get out of the hustle and bustle of life. I think that way about our ball fields. I think that way about future plans that we have for these 87 acres. But one of the challenges that we have being here is that over the last 30, 40, 50 years, we've continued to move farther and farther out of the city. And so what we have to work extra hard to do is to communicate to our city. We're not trying to get away from you. We're still in the city limits, but we love you and we want to have a presence in all aspects of the city. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. So what does it look like for a church to be for their city? Well, number one, they, they stay, they settle down and live life over a long period of time. Number two, we work hard for the city's peace and prosperity. We work hard for the city's peace and prosperity. Notice verse 7. Jeremiah says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Now, instead of hoping for Babylon's demise, in verse 7, God calls his people to work for its welfare and success. The word peace is the Hebrew word shalom. It's more than the absence of conflict or the absence of war. It's actually a word of presence. It's referring to the presence of health, the presence of wholeness, the presence of flourishing and well-being. God called his people to be for the flourishing of the city of Babylon. What does that look like for a church like ours? Well, I think it looks a lot like this. We want to work for, of course, the spiritual health of our city. We're a church. That's kind of a given. 
but we can also work for the, the physical health, the structural health of our city, the economic health of our city. It's okay for us to work for the mental health of our city, the cultural health, the social health. You see, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he says, you're a city. He uses the word city. You're a city set on a hill, which kind of like literally our church is on a hill. We're a city set on a hill. He says, let your light so shine before people that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. We have the opportunity to show God through good works. I've said for years, we're going to be a church of the word and of works. Both are so important. And often people won't hear our words until they see our works. We're a church that seeks the peace, works hard for the prosperity of our city. Number three, how do we know if we're truly for our city? Well, we'll pray hard for the city's peace and prosperity. We'll pray hard for the city's peace and prosperity. Look at verse 7 with me. Again, God says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. So the first part of verse 7, he says, Seek, which is more of a, a working kind of word. Agonize for it. Labor over the peace and prosperity of the city. But now he says, not only work for it, but now he says, Pray for it. Prayer and hard work so often go together. This week, as part of my devotions, I was reading in the book of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah came back to some hundreds of years later to restore the city of Jerusalem, and he was a master administrator, a master leader. And Nehemiah divided up people into groups, and he, he said, for instance, this group over here, you're, you're going to work to rebuild the walls, work hard. While you're working to rebuild the walls, this group right here, I want you to pray for safety, pray for God's blessing on the project. And then this group over here, you can sleep while these two groups pray and work. And in eight hours, we're all going to switch, or 10 hours or 12 hours, I don't think the text says. We're going to switch it up. And so prayer and work and rest are all part of our rhythms. So I've been here three and a half years. I'm very, very thankful and proud in the best sense of the word of the way you as a church work. Well, you work hard. You are in the city. You're in your jobs. You're in the community. Some of you serve on boards and in ministries behind the scenes on top of what you do through the church. God bless you. I just want to be transparent and let you know that I believe I sense God calling us this fall to take our prayer for the city to the next level. We're working for the city, but what would it look like for us this fall to gather more often and pray for the city? And I'm not just talking about praying for Aunt Susie's cousin's pizza boy's hairdresser's toenail surgery that he's going to have next Thursday, but what would it look like for us to pray for the ministries in our city, for the people of our city to know Christ through all that we are doing. Maybe you're not familiar with what else is going on in the city, and so I wanted to take a quick second to let you know what you're doing, what your church is doing by the grace of God in the city. There's four primary ministries through which we're engaged in the city. One is through Union Mission. Every month, we're one of their largest supporters, if not the largest church supporter that they have. We partner with Union Mission through parenting classes in their recovery program, doing a crossroads meal twice monthly 
regular food distributions. We have couples in our church doing marriage counseling for families in and being served by Union Mission. A number of you and young professionals are, are serving through the garden. You're literally, not spiritually, literally growing a garden through Union Mission Ministries so they can be self-sustaining. We love Union Mission and will for decades to come. But what else are we doing in the city? We love Mountain Mission. Mountain Mission is another one of our large organizations we support financially through our volunteers. They're opening up ways for our students this fall to get involved through their ministry. YWCA, Sojourners. We do a monthly meal. I didn't even know this. Monthly meal at Sojourners. We do building repairs. I did see the playroom redesign. Some of you completely redesigned their playroom for their families. It's beautiful. The foster closet that we launched about a year and a half ago. Many of you are serving through the foster closet to love and to serve the adoption, foster, and grand families communities, building bridges into places like the Children's Home Society, DHHR, CPS, and NECO. We're doing this because we love our city. But can you imagine this fall, some of your groups gathering together, maybe a few times our entire church gathering together to pray for the police, men and women in our city, to pray for first responders, for those who serve in our fire departments, to pray for our mayor and those who work in the mayor's office, for FCA and crisis, the, the Crossroads Crisis Pregnancy Center and those who serve at Thomas Hospital. What would it look like for us to pray for that? and for them. May God help us to be a church that works for the city and even more prays for the city. If you have ideas about ways we could do that, let me know. I'll be in the lobby after the service. So that's what. Now we ask why. Why does God invite us to be for the city? Well, it's right here in the text. There's three reasons why we believe God invites us to do this. Number one, we live here too. We live here too. Look at verse 7 with me for a moment. In verse 7, he says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. God loves you so much that he cares about where you live too. We talk a lot about ministry and serving others, but take a breath of fresh air for just a minute and, and remind yourself that God in his word, I didn't write verse seven, God tells his people, I want you to do this, yes, for my glory, yes, for my sovereign plan, but I also want you to do this for you. If it prospers, you will prosper too. Do you know God gets glory when you enjoy your city? God gets glory when you take an afternoon or an evening off or a day or a week off and just enjoy his good gifts. God gets glory when you go and watch a group perform at Live on the Levee, depending on who the group is. God gets glory for that. God gets glory when we go and have a hot dog at a power baseball game with friends and family. He gets glory when we kayak on the Elk or the Coal River or when two lovers take a stroll on the boulevard or we get that extra scoop of ice cream at Ellen's or we take a jog at Canal State Forest to work off the ice cream that we ate at Ellen's. 
God gets glory when we scream our faces off with, with Dwayne and, and Amy at a UC basketball game. God gets glory for that. God gets glory when we, we root for West Virginia State or we listen to the Appalachian Children's Chorus. God gets glory when we enjoy a high school football game or the hunting fishing show or take an afternoon stroll at Capitol Market. God gets glory when we enjoy our city. And one of the ways God communicates his goodness to us is through the goodness and common graces in our own town. Why should we be for the city? Well, we live here too. Number two, God is a God of renewal. He's a God of renewal. Notice verse 10 with me. In verse 10, he says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now think with me for just a minute. Does God in his word through verses 10 and 11, or even verse 7, promise you that if you're a believer, that you will have peace and prosperity? Does God promise that? If you give your life to Jesus, does God promise you will have peace and prosperity? That's kind of a trick question. It, the answer depends on the timing of the question. If you're asking the question, does he promise peace and prosperity for eternity? The answer is yes. Read Revelation 21 and 22. So if somebody says, does God promise peace and prosperity? I'll say absolutely, if you're talking about eternity, the new heavens and the new earth, right? That's beautiful, beautiful picture of prosperity. But if you're talking about life on earth, the answer is no, right? Sometimes the godliest people suffer through the greatest trials. As we read the book of Job or look at the life of Jesus, sometimes God's plan advances farther through, further through trials. But here's what I want to communicate. Yes, God creates, sin has broken, Jesus saves, Jesus is transforming the earth. One day God is going to restore but as you look at the overarching character of God in the Bible, God is a God of renewal. The heart of the gospel is the heart of transformation and renewal. And so one of the reasons that we do good works isn't because we somehow think we're going to usher in an age of prosperity on the earth. We do believe that there's benefits, but we believe that good works point to a greater day of prosperity in the new heavens and new earth. And if you want to know what the gospel's really like, it's often best seen and illustrated through good works. Think about what Jesus did when he walked the earth. Every miracle that Jesus did was to alleviate some kind of suffering. He illustrated what he taught and what he preached through helping the disabled walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the hungry to find food, the thirsty to find water, and the dead to be raised to life. I've been asked before, don't you think a lot of what you're doing in this city is just temporary? Pastor, why would you as a church focus so much on the city when it's just temporary? People are going to get hungry again. Buildings that you repair are going to fall down again. Why would you spend so much time doing this? Well, if we took that logic then we have to say that Jesus also failed in his ministry because every belly that Jesus filled got hungry again. Every person he raised from the dead died again. 
Every person that he healed either got sick again or they died again. Jesus didn't do them because the miracles were eternal. Jesus did them to point to a gospel that is eternal. And as you read the book of Acts, you'll see that there are 40 miracles in the book of Acts. 40. 39 of the 40 were done outside the church walls. And so we are called as a church to say, hey, city, we want to show you what the gospel is like. We want to show you how good God is. We want to show you how much God loves you. And even if you at this point haven't heard his word, let us show you through his works. The way we build a bridge to our city is through good works. Why does God invite us to be for our city? Because at his heart, he's the God of renewal. And number three, and lastly, when we draw near to hurting people, we're actually drawing near to Jesus. We're actually drawing near to Jesus. Notice verse 12 and 13. It just seems out of place. I didn't write the Bible. I'm not critiquing it. I'm just saying it seems out of place. He's just said, bless your city and love your city and seek the peace of your city. In verses 12 and 13, he says, then you will call on me and come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. You see, it's never been about just city renewal but it's always been about heart renewal. And even thousands of years ago, yes, God wanted them to bless Babylon and do great things, but it's never been about a city. It's been about a heart. And in some way that, that we can't fully understand, when we serve our city, it creates a thirst not only in the city, but it creates a thirst in us where we want to know Jesus more and experience his presence more. One of the most unusual sermons was given by Jesus in Matthew 25. And you can just imagine the disciples as, as Jesus gives them this sermon. Listen to what he says about presence. When the Son of Man, Matthew 25, 31, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. So let's picture it. I'll use my right and my left. All right, first of all, the right, the sheep, verse 34. Then the king will say, this is Jesus, to those on his right, come. You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes to clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Wow. In some way, when we draw near to hurting people, we're drawing near to Jesus himself. We don't get on this side by doing the good works. It's not what he's saying. 
The rest of the Bible teaches. We get on this side by putting our faith in Christ. Here's the point. Anybody who is on this side will do these things. James is very clear. James says, if you think you're on this side and you're not doing these things, you ain't on this side. That's, that's, it's, in the, it's in the Hebrew, trust me. It's, it's on this. Right? Now, let's, what happens to this side? Verse 41, he, he says, Then will he say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. Then also they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? Then he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And one of the scariest verses in the entire Bible, verse 46, then they, this side, will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You may have grown up in church. You may have prayed a prayer. You may have the Christian name tag. But I challenge you to check your heart if you have no heart for what we're talking about on this side. Ask the Lord, Lord, when did I genuinely make you the Lord of my life? Because when we do that, when he quickens our heart by faith, we will want to love our city like Jesus has loved us. A moment ago, I gave you four ways that are our primary ways for serving the city. And we've been praying with our elders about a fifth way to step into for the next few years or maybe the decades to come. A fifth way. Watch this video with me. Let me introduce you to a fifth and exciting new way. Hi, I'm Michelle Thompson, and I am standing in a new space that we hope to use as a ministry in the future for the residents of Charleston. John Burdett has so graciously provided us with a building in which we can serve our community. We hope to help people imagine a brighter future as they use the skills that God has given them along with training that we hope to provide. In the Maker Center, we hope to provide construction skills to people coming out of recovery, the women from Recovery Point and residents of the community in floral design, as well as innovative technology training for children from Mary C. Snow Elementary School. The opportunities here are endless. If there's a topic that you would like to teach or a skill you think would help individuals in our community, I hope you'll share that with us. We wanna use the Maker Center first and foremost to point people to the gospel, to the fact that God created and he gave us the ability to create. In this space, we hope to have people dream and learn and innovate and create in a way that they can better their futures for themselves and their families. This is a project for all of us to do together as we seek to impact our community. Will you help me give it up and thank Michelle Thompson, our Director of City Ministries. Michelle, this is a unique close, way to close the service. We're going to close with this in a, in a few minutes, but um, I want to ask you just a couple of questions to help us go out with a heart that you have and so many others have. How did we get to the Maker Center? How did this come to, come to be? Well, it's been a journey. One of the things about 
what I was tasked with doing when I started doing city ministry leadership was finding the gaps that exist in the city, in the area around Charleston, and trying to see how Bible Center could help in those gaps, whether it's someone that's already doing something in the city that we could assist or whether it was something that was completely missing and we could be innovative and help fill that gap. And it's funny, one of the things I realized, I actually noticed in my own home, as many of you know, Richard and I did foster care, and what I discovered was every single one of the children that came to our home who was elementary age, I asked them the same question, wanting to help them. I didn't know how long they'd be with us, so I wanted to help them take classes that would matter to them and things. So I would ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would get the very same answer every time, and it was this. No answer. It broke my heart to think about the fact that they hadn't even begun to dream about what they wanted to do when they grew up. Children, I think, that live in a home where no one works just don't even realize they should be dreaming. And that I don't mean that as a con condemnation on anyone. Some families want to work and can't find good jobs. Other families have just been through circumstances or addiction, and having a job is a hard thing. So I don't mean that in judgment at all, but it's affecting the children in a way I had never realized before. And so as we started to think about what we wanted to do to make a difference with people living in poverty in our area, that is what came to mind. Let's let children dream again. Let's show them that they should dream and give them a way to see and experience something they haven't before. Augmented reality, virtual reality, those kinds of things that some of the children that are living on the west side may never have experienced. As well as understanding that the people that I've come to love, I help with one of the recovery programs, actually two of them in the city, and they just become so near and dear to your heart and you realize they're graduating without the ability to get a good job and they need to be able to support their families, and they want to. We say our mission is to glorify God by producing more maturing followers of Jesus. So how does the Maker's Center fit within our mission? The Maker's Center, it's the maker. That's what it's all about. And we use the word center because of Bible Center. So um, it's a maker's space with education components in it, and it points to our God, to our creator, who made us all with the desire to create and innovate, and some people more than others, especially people that are gifted that way, I think are going to really be able to enjoy that space. But one of my team members sent me an email that I would love to share because he put it so well. I didn't ask him this question. He just randomly sent me this email. But it says, I have been thinking and praying about a makerspace for a few years, but I didn't share it with many people because I thought they wouldn't understand it. I didn't think God would do something this wonderful. His creativity is boundless. I have been praying, and as I have, two tools keep coming to my mind, a crowbar and a framing hammer. A crowbar is used for demolishing things, tearing out the bad so that something new can be built in its place. And a framing hammer is used to build something new, solid, and lasting. We are about to start a new ministry where we will be tearing down the walls, barriers, misconceptions, divisions, and the fears that divide us. In their place, we will be building connections, relationships, skills, and hope. Through these new relationships, we can build hope and produce more maturing followers of Jesus Christ. After all, our Savior is a carpenter. I just loved that. You've shared a number of ways that we're actually going to be able to do practical ministry in the space. Uh, could you share with us? We know it's still kind of wet cement, but what are some things that are going to take place in the Maker Center? How are we going to train, love, educate, um, all the things you mentioned? Sure. There 
is a lot about it that is still wet cement. And that's the beauty of a maker's space, honestly, because there's no right or wrong way to do it. We can teach anything that we find someone that will be a teacher and that we have an interest in the community for. Um, but we do have some things that this week have just really solidified. I met with Dr. Karina, who's the new principal at Mary C. Snow um, Westside Elementary this week. And she committed to bringing their fifth grade students to us every week beginning in January. That, I am so excited about that. Even more so the fact that our eighth graders at Bible Center School have an opportunity to serve as their mentors. That is going to benefit both groups. And like I said, I'm beyond excited about that. Um, but in addition to that, we have already um, firmed up the construction teacher. And I got an email from Jason Quintrell this week, who is the director of um, Union Mission Ministries. And it said the construction opportunity that we're having will completely be a game changer for their vocational program. And that just excites me so very much. So there's that, as well as a floral design program so that the students that come through will be able to work in local florist shops. So I actually stepped into two floral shops on the west side this week to see if this was a need, and both of them, one of them wanted to hire me on the spot. So if you're a floral designer, there are jobs in Charleston. <laughs> but, so that's, that's great. One of the things I like about this program or this, this ministry, it's a ministry, is how that we can actually help people support themselves. The goal is to train people to support themselves, whether it be children, students, or adults. And I had one of the principals of one of our area uh, middle schools was in the first service, and uh, he wants in on the action. I haven't told you that yet, but he's got 60 students that want to help be a part of this, even during the school week or even on a Saturday. Um, so this is gaining some wow. traction. Gaining some traction. <laughs> So I was down at Panera a few days ago, and the mayor was beside me. I hadn't, didn't recognize her. I was looking one way, and she was looking the other, and uh, she brought it up. She's excited about some things that are going on here at Bible Center. You've heard a lot of excitement and some buzz around town, specifically about the Maker Center. What are you hearing? Well, it's interesting because, you know, I attend certain meetings in the city that I go to on a regular basis, and so we started, as we started thinking about this idea and realizing that we had a building and an availability to do something, we wanted to meet a need. So I started putting feelers out, <laughs> and it honestly has spread. I feel like it's a locomotive going downhill that I can hardly keep up with. But so this person in this meeting, and it's not even a gossipy kind of thing. It's they love our city, and they're connected, and they're go-getters, um, the people in the city that I'm talking about. And so before long, I had an email, and I actually met the... Um, He's the director of economic and community development for the city, but this matters to him. I was invited to speak at the West Side Neighborhood Association because that's a group of people that really care about the West Side. They are so excited that this is coming to the West Side. But not only that, even Mountain Mission is like a block away from where our location is, and they are already giving our Gospel in 10 Words track to every person who comes through seeking assistance, has our church phone number on it, and they get to share the gospel. But they're now also going to be able to say, hey, do you want to have some type of job training? Is there anything available a block away that you might want to attend? So it's not just the city officials, but the organizations we already partner with that are excited to join us in this. That's great. I want to ask Pastor John to make his way up. And as, as he's coming, Michelle, can you tell us um, what are some practical ways? We want to get involved. We want to jump in. How can we do that starting today? Help us dream. 
Like, there's no wrong way. There's nothing we can't teach in there if we have the qualified people to do it. But in addition to that, please pray. Pray for God's wisdom. Pray for the right people to come through our program. Recovery Point is a block around the corner, and their residents walk past us every day. Pray that we can have an eternal impact and truly start seeing people come to Christ because of what's happening there. In addition to praying, we would love for you to donate. We have a list, a huge list, actually, of things, items that we need in order to open the space. We're starting simple. We cut the list down so it wasn't so overwhelming, but we need waste baskets and trash cans and things like that. So stop by the table out in the lobby. It's right in the hallway here behind the fireplace. And uh, there's a list of things you could sign up to donate. It's also online. We can You can click on it so we know we don't get 60,000 waste baskets. But um, donate. Come and serve. Come and help us. Um, Saturday, next Saturday, we are having a work day from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Come for an hour. Stay all day. Come and get your hands dirty. Doing some ministry over there. We need to paint. We need to clean. We need to fill a dumpster or a dump truck, I guess, is what it's going to be. So uh, we would love to have you for whatever amount of time you can come. And then volunteer. We're going to see mentors, teachers, helpers, people that have ideas, people that like to work in a makerspace. There will be 3D printers, and the wood shop will be there. So if that's your kind of thing, please come. Come and help us. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9.